What's up everyone and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Friday, February 10th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host Phil. Phil, what the heck are we going to do on today's show? I don't know. I don't know. It's uh everything's kind of weird right now. We have no previews, no reactions. It's February 9th. It's what 40 plus degrees and sunny out in Buffalo. We're recording when it's sunny, which I don't know the last time we recorded while it was A, daylight, and B, sunny during the day. So it's weird. Everything about this episode's weird. It's a very, very strange episode. Yeah, we got three teams currently that are in mid-season, and we have nothing to talk about. So, Phil, on today's show, we have a, a debut of a show that we've been waiting months, possibly years, to debut. And uh, before we actually dive into that, remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Before we even dive into the thing that the game that we created, Phil, we're on YouTube now. Uh, This has been a long time in the making, but yeah, uh, you won't see our mugs on YouTube just yet. We're still fine-tuning and our IT department's working diligently on uh, (laughs) trying to figure out how to get our our mugs on the actual screen, but I guess everybody gets the benefit for now just listening to us on another platform, trying to make it as easy as possible for people to find us. But uh, yeah, everybody out there is lucky you don't have to see these faces because, at least for me, Phil... I'm face for podcasting only. I was going to say, when it's our mugs, it'll literally just be mugs. It'll just be a yes. like a blank white, white coffee mug, you know, just, you know, live live recording of a blank coffee mug, just plain white sitting there, and those will, those will be our mugs, but we're not there yet. <laughs> we're, not, we're not even at the stage to uh, quite get our coffee mugs on video, but it is exciting. We're getting a little closer to... Newer, newer, and better things, and another, another platform is always fun. So, really excited that we are starting over on YouTube. Yeah. So, welcome. I guess YouTube should be welcoming us. We shouldn't be welcoming people to YouTube because they've been using it far before we were here. But yeah, Phil. Uh, like you said, no previews, no reactions on this show. Very weird. Like you said, recording when it's still sunny out. I mean, my backyard's flooded on February 9th and uh, really weird. Because usually February 9th, you got a blizzard and a foot of snow and it's dark out when we're recording. But it's it's a weird episode, so why not dive into it? We are debuting a new show that will also carry into Monday because we'll only have one reaction on Monday as well. We call it Devil's Avocado. Now, Phil, what is the normal wording for this? Because I don't even know it anymore. I just say Devil's Avocado. No, I completely forgot what <laughs> normal people call this. It is Devil's Advocate. That's it. Yeah, I mean, see, I I don't even remember because we've just been saying devil's avocado for, for, for the years. longest time. Years I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it came about. I don't know the origin of the story. I believe but... it was a autocorrect that went wrong multiple times when right. somebody was trying to say devil's advocate. It just uh, kept autocorrecting the devil's avocado. So now our friend group, uh, kind of just says devil's avocado when referring to devil's advocate and now we are turning into a game that has been like you mentioned years in the making our old podcast that we had was 
at some point going to try to get it going. And in general, it's been on our minds for quite a long time. Yeah. So uh, if this doesn't bring in some of our friend group to listen to the show, I don't know what will because it's going to be a two part series here. But basically, we have topics for today. We're going to be covering the bandits, the bills and the bisons on today's show. I brought all the bees except for the buttes and they're going to be on Monday show. But we have at least two hot topic debate questions and I guess debate opportunities i don't know how we would phrase this but it's going to be a live reaction phil and i have done no research on the topic we're just going in blind we created the the topic of conversation the debate if you will but beyond that that's the only research we've done so phil and i well mostly phil he's going to flip a coin and it's going to determine which side of the argument we're going to debate for and then at the end of the show uh, we're going to ask everybody out there to let us know who won the debate and which side you feel you belong to, because uh, some of these are going to be hot topic debates. You're going to be on the side that you might not want to be on, but you got to fight for it anyways. And I think that's going to be the fun part of this. Yeah, some of these are not necessarily out there kind of questions that people are wondering or that are often debatable about these teams. Some of these are a little bit more opinionated and some are kind of purposely putting us in situations that are hard to fight one side or the other trying to prove that we are good debaters but it'll be it'll be interesting some of these are ones that are you know a little bit more thought-provoking and just kind of questions that we might currently have in general and some are a little bit forced into a a rough hand if you're on the wrong side of the argument so so here are you are you ready are we are we good so phil let's dive into this we're starting with the bandits and the first question here is This team, this current Buffalo Bandits team, the 2022-2023 current roster, is the Buffalo Bandits team that will get this franchise over the hump and win that fifth title that they've been hunting for for oh so long. They've come up short the last two years, the last two finals. Is this the team? Phil, we're going to determine it by flipping the coin, whoever calls it in the air. And uh, if you're right, you get to pick which side you want to be on. All right, you want to call the first one? I will call the first one, and uh, I'll call heads. Heads will be my pick. All right, it's in the air. It's flipping, and it, it oh, dang, it was heads. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to be on the side of, just for fun, for S&Gs. I can't say those uh, on this podcast because we try to go to the kids that will listen, and I don't want to swear. I will go on the side that this will not be the team that will win the fifth title. All right. Um, do you want who's kicking it off? Uh, you can kick it off since you're in the positive if you want, or I can kick it off for the negative. Whatever oh, you I'll, want. I'll kick off the positive. So I was hoping to be in favor of this mainly Sweet. because I don't know this. The season so far is looking pretty incredible. I mean, we're at the halfway point. Nine games in, we are seven and two. We've had a game without Josh Byrne. We've had multiple games without Chris Cloutier. Fraser hasn't played a single game yet this year. The defense has been, I don't want to say hit or miss, but they've had injuries and players in and out consistently and, you know, here and not there. And somehow the Bandits, even while playing teams like Toronto, Halifax, Rochester now twice, some pretty top talent in the East still find themselves 7-2, and two, winning a lot of away games as well in that little stretch. And sitting halfway through, I think the Bandits so far from what we've seen, and the biggest positive to me 
coming from the band. So we knew the defense would be good, and I think they got even better with Bomberry. And as a team, the defense starts to gel. They're going to look even better. Vince looking incredible once again, as we expected. So defense and Vince going into the season, I think we kind of expected them to look really good, and they do. I think they're proving that they're just a really tough team to play against. But the offense was what we were a little bit worried about without fields. We knew Fraser going into the season, not when he was protected, but going into the season that he was injured. We didn't know when we'd see him back. Chris Couture got injured, but I think that's the biggest positive so far this entire season is seeing the Bandits average a lot of goals per game against some very tough defensive teams without some of their top offensive players. And something like that for the playoffs is what the Bandits were missing last season. The defense was incredible. Vince was incredible in playoffs. They held them, most teams, to a really low score, but the offense just couldn't get over that hump and play well enough and different enough to really win that championship. And this year, you had to Brandon Robinson. McCulley's playing great in a similar role. Your right side looks great with Nanakoke and Smith. Burn when he gets back healthy. Cloutier, if he gets back healthy. Fraser, if he gets back healthy. I think just... The way the offense currently without some of those heavy hitters is finding ways to score. The transition games really stepped up a lot this year. I think that, to me, is going to be the difference in this team finding a way to push themselves over the edge. And I think that was what they were missing last year was that Brandon Robinson or just that element of finding ways to score when the team has the ability to shut down burn. I mean, Smith, we haven't seen really shut down all season yet as he's just been MVP quality once again, as has Josh. But if a team can find a way to shut either one of them down, it looks like the offense has ways to work around that and use some of their secondary pieces and their depth scoring to continue to put up goals, including with the transition. So I think that was the biggest thing missing last year from their championship run. And I think that is the difference in what's going to get them there this year. I can't argue with any of the facts stated that you provided. But what I can do is stick with my pick from the offseason and leading in. I am still on the side of the Toronto Rock are winning. And you can call me a Toronto Rock fan. That's perfectly fine. I'm not. I'm still a Bandits fan, and I still cover the team. But I'm looking from an outsider's perspective, and I'm not blinded by the black and orange that's on the field. Phil, the Toronto Rock, eight games in. Yes, they're one game below game played less than the Buffalo Bandits, but they're six and two. Yes, you have the edge in the head-to-head right now, but currently the Rock are scoring more goals per game than the Buffalo Bandits. They're allowing less than or one less, more than one less goal a game at 9.25. Nick Rose is playing ungodly right now. The team finally has the offense to back up the defense that they have. Did you know, Phil, Dr. Schnoo, Dr. Mitch Desnew. I thought we weren't talking has about him nine on this goals. anymore. <laughs> yeah, nine goals on 12 shots. He has missed three shots of the 12 he has taken. Didn't go in the back of the net. You got Chandler Rogers coming up in the transition game. My man crush. Tom Schreiber just had, a, what, a 14-point game? 15-point game because I think they added another assist to it. Corey Small scoring with the best of them. Dan Craig, who used to have to be the second guy in charge here, is now third in scoring. Stephen Keogh is fourth in scoring on this team. Dan Dawson's only played in seven games, and he's got five goals, 13 assists. Zach Manns has only played in seven. This defensive unit that the Toronto Rock can throw out has always been great. They're... Let me let me double check this. I want to double check my numbers before I throw this out. Yes, they are the only team currently 
or besides the Saskatchewan Rush. So they're one of two teams currently in a 15-team league that are allowing less than 10 goals a game. They are the only team putting up over 14 goals a game. So I still think the Toronto Rock, when it comes time for playoffs, because the players that the Buffalo Bandits brought in to be this bigger, tougher team that can get in the spaces that they couldn't last year, they haven't been playoff tested. The players that have been player playoff tested have come up short. I think, and remember, the, the Toronto Rock were seconds, like milliseconds away from at least tying it and taking it into overtime, and you know what happens in overtime. It's weird. I mean, Chandler Rogers beat Halifax single-handedly in the playoffs last year. I think the Toronto Rock, until proven otherwise, and yes, you can say they've been proven otherwise last year, but the current team, I think the Toronto Rock currently are the the beast of the East at the moment, and I think they have the Buffalo Bandits number, and I think it will be shown in crunch time when you have to face the Toronto Rock two of the last three weeks of this season. I do love that we play them two of the last three weeks this season. It's going to be it's going to be a battle. So intense, and the very last game of the entire season, which I think it was it the exact same last year they where it came did, down to and remember it didn't matter. I right, think. but it, it yeah. could have. It could have, yes. Where they're at home this year against Toronto in the very last game of the season, and we don't know, obviously, yet, but with the way the season is starting to shape up, it could mean everything right there. So I was trying to find who the Toronto Rock have played so far this year, but um, the NLL website, I, I don't know what is happening right now over at it, but... They, under all weeks for Toronto Rock schedule, I can only get tomorrow's game on, so it does not give me any previous ones, and under where any of these games are taking place, it says undefined for every single game, so I don't I don't know what is going on over at the NLL website. Something is, once again, very I can pull it up for you right off. now. I, I got it for you. They uh, took down Vancouver 19-8, lost to Rochester 11-7, lost to Bandits 11-8, Defeated the New York Riptide 15-7. Took down Halifax 17-8. Took down Philly 14-5. Defeated Calgary 11-10. And then last week took down the New York Riptide once again 22-14. So their wins so far, you got Halifax Halifax and Calgary. Yeah. So they have two impressive wins in eight games. Halifax was really impressive. Calgary, I think that was really wasn't that overtime. I believe so. Yeah. So they have one impressive Calgary win. Came back, yeah. <laughs> and the other ones, they lost to the Bandits, and I don't think they were in their their true form. They are now, and same with that Rochester game early on. I don't think they were quite in their current form. But have they really been tested so far this year? Other than one Halifax game, and realistically, Halifax sitting four and four out of nowhere. I don't know what happened to them because they should be, in theory, a better team, but. In general, I think the, uh, like we just mentioned, we can't even see the matchup until the very end of the year. So that's kind of a a bit of a bummer. I feel like it's going to be a big waiting game with these two teams. But I don't know. The top four so far for the East are really shaping up to be the top four in the East. I mean, Nighthawks are on back-to-back losses against tough teams. So we'll see how they do against easier opponents down the line. But I think they also play the Rock coming up once again. Um, So that'll be... Interesting to see how the Rock fare against the Nighthawks as they play them again a little bit sooner. Same with Halifax, but 
as far as the top four go in the East, I think that's going to probably be the top four in the East, and I could very easily see a rematch of the Bandits and Rock again in the finals this year, which I'm sure, I don't know, I, I was going to say no one wants to see because it's back-to-back East finals with the same two teams, but they're extremely heated rivals who are both extremely good, so... I could I could see it happening. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And right now, I think those end of year games are just going to be critical. Like I just these are the kind of games where you almost want to play the Rock now to see where your team shapes up against some of the top teams in the league. And having to play the Rock twice at the end of the year, you're shaping up to see them right before playoffs. It's not the best time to see a team like that where you're just a you're fighting for standings. B it's so late in the season you can't make any adjustments really. So You'd like to kind of see where the Bandits stand against a team like that right now, but we don't play them for quite a while. So, Phil, um, we'll let the listeners determine. Yeah, mushy mushy uh, or ripe. Those are our... Mushy or ripe. Yeah, ripe avocado means they they won the argument. Mushy avocado means you lost the argument. So we'll have to see who was the... I'm the ripe one. Who was on the ripe side. Oh, man, even that works on the ripe side of things. Oh, Man, God. This We're is so just, good at this Yeah, game. this is really flowing in. <laughs> All right, for our next Bandits question here, we'll try to pick up the debate and try to make it a little yeah, bit sorry quicker. Yeah, sorry about that. It's, yeah, it's first uh, time. First time. It is. First time. First time. We're working out the kinks. Second question here, Phil. I guess you can call it in the air, heads or tails. Oh, you get boy. to determine it. The to Buffalo me. Bandits have the best fans in the NLL. All right. Uh, I'm going to go tails. We're going to flip it to the other side, and I... Oh, man. Hope hope I win this one because it would be tough to lose it. It is tails. Oh, thank goodness. All right. So I'm going to go in favor of, again, mainly, okay, well, not good. only because we're we're both bands, season ticket holders, so that makes it easy enough. But at the same time, I don't know a ton about the other fans in the league. I know Colorado is supposed to be the loud house and pretty packed in there. I know a few other Teams have pretty packed arenas, and then there's some teams like everyone complained about the Riptides last game against the Bandits where there was like five people in the seats, and that was a little depressing. But I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Do you want me to, do you want me to kick it off? Or are you going to yeah, kick gonna it go? off again? All right. So Bandits have the best fans in the NLL. Well, they do travel extremely well, similar to the Bills fans that are out there, that the Bandits fans also, I feel like it's harder to travel for Bandits games, but I feel like our Bandits fans travel extremely well. I mean, Rochester, every single time, is pretty much completely taken over by the Buffalo Bandits, and their home crowd has a tough time even staying ahead of the Bandits fans when the Bandits fans are doing all their chants, and that's another thing I absolutely love about the Buffalo Bandits and their home arena is the chance. I feel like it's very unique to not only the sport, but also to the Bandits. I mean, having all those different chants for different things that go on, it's a very different atmosphere. It's an incredible atmosphere. It's very loud. It's very fun. And like you mentioned, you, you just kind of you bleed the black and orange. It's an incredible environment. And I just, the the amount of fans they get on a consistent basis is another huge. I mean, if you want to just go stat by stat, I think they are usually in the top probably two of the entire league every single year as far as fans go. And I know you and I have been season ticket holders for quite a long time, and we love it, and we keep coming back. And it's uh. It's a tough place to beat. I mean, when the players mention it all the time and even opposing players who play here or even opposing players who then get flipped to the Bandits and then say how much they would much rather be on the Bandit side versus playing as an opposing 
player and just going into that arena and how loud it can get and how aggressive the fans can get. It's it's an environment pretty much like no other. I can't deny, once again, I can't deny <laughs> the attendance I feel numbers. like this one's going to be tough trail. for you. I, I, I got ways in this one. I mean, I find ways to be the enemy of the people all the time. Hence, you know, Toronto beating Buffalo. But I I can't deny Buffalo Bandits average the, what, top three, if not top amount of attendance in the league. They're they travel usually well. one, two, three, but usually yeah. pretty dang close to one every single year. It also helps that you have one of the bigger arenas in the league oh, yeah. and can have that amount of people but you still got to get you gotta fill it you gotta fill it yeah you still gotta fill it so i can't deny any of that stuff what i can say though is how many other fan bases are calling for the eight-time goaltender of the year to be shipped out of town how many people are complaining that dane smith isn't scoring enough how many people are saying we're chasing other player top players out of the out of the team it's it's in buffalo's nature and I've only lived in Buffalo my whole life, so I can only go off this experience. How many times have you heard team fans trying to chase the top players out of the league, out of the city? I mean, they were doing that to Jack Eichel for, what, five years? They they were doing that. Dane Smith can't win the big one. Dane Smith comes up short in the playoffs. You know, Matty Vince can't do it in the playoffs. He, he lets in weak goals. He's, short, he's bad on his left hand shoulder side. Uh, Phil? How many times have we come on this show and ripped fair weather Buffalo Bandits fans by calling out the 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 best goaltender that's ever played in the entire league? I'm I'm hanging my hat on that statement that if you want to call yourself the best fans in the NLL, maybe actually watch the game critically and realize that hey, just because a ball goes behind Matt Vince you can't put the whole blame on him until this fan base that calls themselves the best fans in the league. I can't deny that they might be the loudest fans, Phil. They might be the most dedicated fans to travel around the league, but I don't think the best fans would put blame on one of the sole reasons that your team is into the finals the past two years that the finals have actually been held. So I until that happens where people actually are critical of other positions and aren't blaming the one guy who's, yes, his job is to stop the ball, but when things break down in front of him, I mean, how many times have we come on the show and said, hey, only two of those 10 goals are on Matt Vince. The rest of them are on the defense breaking down or he just had no shot. So until that happens and until the Fairweather fans move down to Florida and stay there, I don't think this fan base can call themselves the best in the league because the best in the league is more critical than that. I think the problem with that is that they're passionate and they they want to see yes. perfection. But that's the, fine. The biggest thing is is that the negative fair weather fans will always yell louder than the happy, positive, Get we love megaphone. this team kind of fans. You know, the the negative fans are the ones who are throwing up comments left and right, trying to complain about everything. And the positive fans are like, hey, we had a great game. I don't need to post that. Everybody saw it. They're 7-2. and two. Obviously, they had a great game. So why do I need to post anything? They're amazing. They're 7-2. and two. But yeah, the, the negative fans who, like you said, yell at Vince for letting in you know two or three goals that maybe he shouldn't have or we'd like back, and they want to fire him with absolutely no backup plan. They, they seem to yell louder than the happy fans. How about all the fans that 
are uh, complaining about Connor Fields over Chase Frazier when Chase Frazier hasn't played a single game. How about that? How about those fans? Yeah, it's it's it go, really goes back to the fact that once again he was protected when he was healthy, and that's the point that is the most frustrating as a I don't know someone who does this and <laughs> knows a little bit more. I mean, just look into your research a little bit. I mean, he was not injured when he was protected. The Bandits fully expected him to start playing and contributing from game one, and that part is that part's frustrating. How about the fans that are calling for Johnny T's head, that he's not a good coach, he can't win the big ones, and uh, he's been the coach of the team back-to-back, and he's won. He's lost, like, what, 14 games, if that? Again, they yell louder. That's that's the only issue. That's fine. Just get a megaphone for if you <laughs> want to be the best fans. If you want to be the best fans, uh, talk louder than the people that are uh, making up nonsense. Also, if you want to be the best fans, maybe don't do the wave at the game. Yeah, don't do the wave either. Yeah. How about that? They 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 got it going somehow. It took them four games, but they got it going. <laughs> but again, right as the wave yeah, was still it, going, they scored, and there there yeah, went our scored. massive run. Damn. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was uh, against this. Phil's in favor of it. It's up to you, the listener, to determine who is the ripe, who is the mushy avocado. Phil, we will move on to the Bill segment here. First one on topic here, Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, is the right head coach that can get the Buffalo Bills, Bandits Mafia, or I'm sorry, Bills Mafia, (laughs) to the Super Bowl. Not just to the Super Bowl, but to win it. Phil, I think it's it's my turn. You are up. I'm going to stick with heads. I'm going to stick with heads. heads. It's in the air. It is uh, flipping, and it is is tails. Okay, so you get to the tails. Oh, man, this is tough. I can. I feel like I'm literally on the coin edge of both of this. Um, oof. I will go. Man, I really want to go negative just for funsies because I've been positive the first two times. But do I really dislike Sean McDermott? I don't think I do. Um, sure, we'll go negative for funsies. All right. Got to mix it up. You want me to start since uh, yeah, you go positive. The person you go positive. in favor. What okay. what were you? I guess we can talk about it after, but either you can answer it now or after. What were you leaning towards? But you can talk about it after. If like. I was the same as you. I like to go right. against the grain and try to fight on <laughs> the. I, I used to, I used to like I I like to be the odd one and try to see if I can win over and win the argument. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be in favor of this one because I think. Looking at it from an outsider's perspective, which I try to do the best I can, but we're Buffalo Sports Podcast. You can only you, we started this because we're fans of the team and we like talking about the team, so it's it's hard to kind of pull yourself away from it. But I think if I am the, an outsider's perspective, I think Sean McDermott is the right coach for this team to get them over the hump. And I mean, he's coached in ninety-seven games. He has a almost a 640 win percentage. He's won 62, lost 35, and you can toss out. I mean, he took this team who had missed the playoffs for, what, 17 straight seasons and got them into the playoffs on a team that was trying to, you know, just get by. They, they, they had, what, the highest dead cat number in all of football ever possibly. I mean, they cut Marcel Darius. They traded Sammy Watkins. They, they, they uh, brought in a guy named Jordan Matthews. I think his last name was with a, they cut Ronald Darby. Remember that whole smoke storm of all these trades, like in the same day. And he took that team led by Tyrod Taylor, their number one wide receiver 
was Kelvin Benjamin, the same guy that showed up and was too fat and camp, and they tried to turn him into a tight end. I mean, this this is the team that he led to the playoffs. Yes, the very next year, he went 6-10 and 10 with the rookie Josh Allen. What has he done since? Has never had less than 10 wins. This team is three years running the AFC East division title. They have been to the playoffs, what, three straight years? Four straight, four straight years. They've been to the playoffs five of the six years that he has been head coach. Yes, he has a four and five record in the playoffs. But when it comes time to playoffs, they were 13 seconds away from facing Cincinnati. And I think we all know that year, last year, they would have beaten Cincinnati and they definitely would have wiped the floor with the Los Angeles Rams. So if that 13 seconds wouldn't have happened, yes, you can put it on Sean McDermott, you could put it on the, the special teams, whatever, but he was 13 seconds away from leading a team to the Super Bowl that hasn't been to the Super Bowl since the early 90s, that four-run period. I think Sean McDermott is the leader of men. I think he is the right coach for this job. Yes, every once in a while he makes the wrong decision on when to punt and when not to, but if you look at the, the statistics... He goes for it more often than many other coaches. He's like in the top five of coaches that should go for it, and he actually does. So I think he has come a long way from the coach that he was to start where he would just punt and play defense so much, where he was just so in favor of defense. That was before he got this quarterback of Josh Allen, the freak athlete that he is, the unicorn that he is. I think Sean McDermott is the head coach, and by the time he retires, he will have multiple Super Bowl championships with the Buffalo Bills. So, here we go. For for the against. Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> the against is exactly what you just mentioned at the very end of that statement. He has a unicorn of a QB who this entire last season we mentioned on our own podcast that it was kind of mentioned a lot at the end of the season when it kind of fizzled out and didn't didn't work out on the Bills' favor how much Josh Allen and his incredible abilities was able to mask the amount of problems the Buffalo Bills actually had. Now, McDermott, we know, is a very defensive coach, and this defense, despite some injuries, ended up being pretty solid. Overall, they were a really good defense. They went through a lot of injuries. We know that. But at the same time... The offense is kind of what struggled. And you had a first-year offensive coordinator. And I don't know the exact number, but I remember seeing it recently that was like four of the last five head coaches that have won the Super Bowl have been offensive-minded head coaches, whereas McDermott is clearly a defensive-minded head coach. And one of the things that we all mentioned as a fan base or as a podcast is that the offense was lacking a lot this season, and it had nothing really to do with Josh. I think Josh put the entire team pretty much on his back and did the best he could with what he was given. But the offense was lacking a lot. And again, this is very hard. I kind of made this comparison as well a while ago, but it's a tough comparison because Andy Reid is one of the best ever. So tough comparison there. But Andy Reid is an offensive-minded coach who does an incredible job with his offense. And again, similar situation where he has Mahomes, who is a bit of a unicorn himself. But at the same time, they lost Hill and they had a patchwork of wide receivers this year. Yes, they still had Kelsey, but somehow their offense went even better this year without Tyreek Hill. Mahomes threw, what is his highest ever, I think, this year, over 5,000 yards, and yet they somehow had a less talented offense, but their coach was able to find ways to scheme and make things work, and that team put up more points than anybody else, more yards than anybody else, and looked 
beyond incredible. And look at that. They are on their way to the Super Bowl. So for me, the biggest thing that McDermott can do, and we already know that he is staying the offense coordinator, and I I just we don't know how it's going to go. It's year two, so we'll see what Ken Dorsey can kind of pull out. Hopefully something completely different than we saw this year, but that is kind of, to me, the biggest knock on McDermott. It is nothing with his coaching style. It has nothing to do with necessarily his coaching as a coach, but it's simply the offense they have, the weapons they have. You have a digs. You have a patchwork behind them that is capable enough in a correct scheme to really move the ball and do an incredible job. And then you have Josh Allen, who is one of the best in the entire game right now, which is something the Bills were missing for 17 years. And it's just what can this offensive side of the ball do to be better? And even you mentioned the 13 seconds idea. That was two years ago now. And now this year, you could absolutely argue they took a step back. Obviously, the Bills were going through a lot as a team toward the end of the season here. But if we're going no excuses... They looked awful against Cincinnati, and it was just depressing and frustrating with how bad of a team they really looked and not the team that we know they can be. So that is also a lot in the head coach and a very sad way for that to fizzle out this year. Yeah, until uh, anybody provides me with a better candidate than Sean McDermott. Oh, he's, I don't think that, he's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's what, like, three or four head coaches that I would probably rather have than Sean McDermott, and they're not coming here. It would probably be Kyle Shanahan, uh, Andy Reid, and I. that might be Nick Sirianni. If he wins the Super Bowl, I would like him, but that's probably the end of the list. I mean, there's not very many other coaches I would prefer to have Sean, over Sean McDermott. Yes, I think I would rather have an offensive-minded head coach, but... I don't mind having a guy like Sean McDermott who's pretty much hands off of the offense because he's defensive minded. And I, I, you just need I, that I, OC I, to I, step it up. Yeah. Yeah. So you just need the OC to step it up. But you could also say, hey, uh, was that Sean McDermott's hiring? Or was that Josh Allen's hiring? Or was that Brandon Bean's hiring? Or was it a collective? I mean, you can't put it solely on Sean McDermott. I know he's part of the staff, but he also, if Josh Allen wants him, don't you want a head coach that, you know, is listening to his players, who he's been known to be a very good players coach? So I'll, I'll stick with Sean McDermott as my head coach, and I think he's going to be at least a two-time Super Bowl champion head coach before he leaves the city of Buffalo. You're giving at least two. At least two. Yes. We have zero, I mean, you gotta, and you're given at least two. When you have the unicorn at quarterback, I think it's at some tough point to it's gotta not fall into place. It. it has to. I mean, unless you're Dan Marino, those top talented quarterbacks eventually win one. I mean, even Aaron Rodgers won Jim one, Kelly. and he had Mike McCarthy as a head coach. That's true. But that's a that's a good segue. But uh, yeah, uh, ripe or mushy avocado let us know who won that debate next one good transition josh allen the unicorn himself he wouldn't be a top five quarterback without his rushing abilities yes he has it yes he's a top five quarterback because of it but say he couldn't anymore say he is this 35 year old quarterback when he is 35 and he doesn't have the same rushing ability you're gonna eventually lose it every rushing quarterback eventually loses that ability where he likes to take on people he flies through the air and say yeah this is a stupid decision when that can't happen anymore is he still a top five quarterback phil you get the call in the air am i oh i do get the call okay um 
We'll go. We'll go heads this time. We'll go heads. All right, heads it is. It's flipping. It is heads. Oh man, I didn't want to choose this one. Man, I feel like it's better not to win the coin flip because. Yeah. Early. I mean, like, obviously, if you feel very strongly one way or the other, I'm once again pretty fifty-fifty on this one as well. I could see it going both ways. Um. All right, let's just do against back to back for the Bills. So you're, right. I'm both favor for the Bandits, both against for the Bills. So we're, I, I don't know, not really mixing it up, but mixing it up. So I guess I get to kick this one off yep, again. You get and to kick uh, it. yeah, I'll start it off, um, Phil. Since 2019, where I think we would all agree that he was still in the development phase. I don't think Josh Allen had arrived in 2019 i think the 2020 season when he was second overall in the mvp voting and lost to aaron Rodgers, but who cares i don't think he had arrived yet since that time he has thrown for 4,283 yards plus 4,283 was his lowest since 2019 uh if you want to go over 2020 he threw for 4,544 yards with 37 touchdowns and 10 interceptions what did he do 2021 4,400 yards 36 touchdowns last year 4,200 close to 4,300 yards and 35 touchdowns that's not including his rushing yes he has the rushing ability. Yes, he rushed for over 700 yards. Once again this year, he's rushing for over six yards a clip. But you take that out. Even if he's rushing for like a normal quarterback, if he's rushing for like Aaron Rodgers where you're getting like 200 yards, so chop off 500 yards, chop off the seven touchdowns, he's still throwing for over 35 touchdowns a year. Yes, his interception's been up the past two years, but he's also been throwing 63% completion percentage the last two years. In 2020, almost 70. He was 69.2% completion percentage. This quarterback, who throws it over 550 times the last three years, is completing it over 63% of the time. It's it's a wonder what this guy's doing. His quarterback percentage has been over 70 two of the last three years. He he's got a rating over 92 the last three years. It, it's it's I if if he does lose the rushing ability, I think you're gonna see the Buffalo Bills build an offensive line to better protect against pass blocking because currently they have a quarterback that can you know adjust to a bad offensive line because he can roll out if they can't anymore he's going to get a better offensive line and you can see what he can do with time he is a wonder yes when he gets out on the edge he can drop a dime like crazy the guy's got a rocket for an arm that typically doesn't go away until you're in your 40s so i can't see this guy being less than a top five quarterback the rest of his career unless something horrible happens where he gets hurt and he loses the ability to drop a dime for 70 yards. All right, first off, I feel like we were either you misread it or I missed one of us misread this question. I thought it was going the side that you just did. <laughs> but all right, so I got to rethink my strategy here. Um, oh, I see what you mean. I see yeah, what you I mean. Think yeah, I think you mis- misread it. I think I misread it. Yeah. So I everything that you were kind of throwing out there, I was like, "Wow, this sounds a lot like the argument I would make." Oh, okay. He he's he's doing that argument. Yep, All right. My bad. So my bad. You want to scratch well, that and uh, <laughs> no, just I guess put your name uh, next to what this I said. Is, yikes! This is really going to be on the fly. Um, not that this my is, bad, Phil. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> 
I have to just switch my mindset to something I, I was not... I mean, not that any of this is prepared. We're doing it on the fly, but I, I had kind of figured out that argument. I haven't really figured out this argument yet. All right. Um, all right, so we're just going to do this on the fly. So he so has to rush in order to be one. good. All right. Oof. Okay, so... Yeah, it's going to be really hard to fight everything you just said, but one of the biggest things with him, at least, I mean, we can definitely talk about fantasy, but one of the biggest things with Josh Allen in general is his rushing ability. We've said it a hundred times that this team and what he brings to the Bills would not be the same without his rushing ability. I'm not going to argue anything you said about his extreme ability to throw, and we haven't really truly seen him be a pocket passer simply because the offensive line hasn't been very good behind him or in front of him to give him all that much time and space and just let him sit there and throw the ball, and the schemes haven't been that great either. But as far as his rushing goes, it's something that is a huge element to his game and just a huge element to what he means to the Buffalo Bills, and I think he would still be a very good quarterback, and I think he might still be in the top five conversation. But if you look at the guys who are considered really good quarterbacks right now, Mahomes doesn't run a ton, but he scrambles a little bit. Burrow is pretty much purely a pocket passer, but Jalen Hurts, who's also in the Super Bowl, pretty much a Josh Allen light or just very similar to Josh Allen, runs a ton, is known to be very good, had a huge sophomore season this year. Thank you for my fantasy team as well. But again, it's his rushing ability that he adds to this team same with Josh Allen. In the last two years, I mean, the last four years, he's averaged over 100 rushing attempts per year. The last two years, he's had, he's been at 122, 124. I mean, I don't know if you knew this. His rushing stats are ridiculously similar from 21 to 22. And I the games played that, yeah. is slightly different, but we'll go over 21. He had 17 games played, 122 attempts, 763 yards for 6.3 yards an attempt. And then in 16 games played in 2022, he had 124 attempts, so two more attempts, 762 rushing yards, so one less yard and 6.1 rushing attempts per attempt. And if you want to just consider that compared to Devin Singletary, also on the team, the actual running back, I know it's a little bit more by committee, but Singletary the last two years was at 188 rushing attempts and then 177. He actually lost them this year. Obviously, Cook was also involved, so... As a team, probably closer to, I don't know, 220, 230. But in general, you have Josh Allen taking up about a third of your rushing stats. And we mentioned so often that the Bills are one of the best rushing teams in the league. So much of that is because of what Josh Allen can do. And Josh Allen, his ability to extend drives with his legs, I guess, is the biggest aspect of this. That if it's third and long, third and short, whatever it is, it's not always his arm that really gets them that first down. It's his ability to escape out of pressure, run for that first down. I mean, how many times have we seen third and short and he's kind of just looking for that ability to run and, you know, dives and crashes and finds a way to pick up just enough for the first down and continue that drive on. And if he ever loses that, I think he'd still be a very good QB. And I think the Bills would still be a very good team, but without his rushing ability and just that added element of what he brings to the team as a whole and his ability to extend drives with his legs, I think it'd be a little bit of a different conversation if he ever gets that taken completely out of his game. Phil, I think you did a fantastic job considering I put you even more on the spot than, than we were going into the show. 
I reread the question about seven times while you were talking, and I was like, no, no, no. I like kept breaking down the wouldn't and without. I was like, all right, we got like a right. double negative going in here. Am I misreading this? I just kept trying to reread the question. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but I will let him finish his argument. Yeah, I, I completely botched it. So if I win this one, it goes to you. So uh, ripe or mushy avocado who won this debate we'll move on to our final one here buffalo bisons and uh the first question is bisons and all of triple a because since it is a triple a team it's kind of hard to pick specific players and everything because the team's not made out yet but the bison season needs to go back to a three or four game series as opposed to the six game series that they are now so phil I will pick heads once again. I'll try to go three for three. I don't know why oh, the no, flip for three. was uh, it was very slow digitally. It was it was weird. Normally it flips a ton. This time it was very slow. But it was heads. It, uh, you won okay. again. So it is it is heads. I would like to go against this and fight in favor of keeping the six game series. I try to preference that one so we don't get confused. <laughs> All right, I will go four. Okay. And all right, so the biggest thing with four, and this is more baseball in general, AAA in general, I guess sports kind of in general. I don't know if any other sport really does this except baseball, but I think it needs to be back to three because seeing a team six times in a row, whether it be home, away, whatever, even for the fans, seeing that same team so often, but even for the teams more specifically, you see that team six times in a row, A, it gets a little bit boring from a entertainment standpoint. You're like, okay, this team again, that's not all that exciting. But the teams start to become familiar with each other within that six-game series. And I think it just loses a little bit of the variety of the game, loses a little bit of the excitement. I mean, yes, you're kind of building more excitement because you're playing that team so often. But with Baseball already being an incredibly long season, and again, even just these three-game series being a little bit different than any other sport, I think keeping it to six games is just too long of a series to see the same team over and over and over going through pretty much their entire pitching staff, and both teams going into that series know that you're pretty much seeing the full team's rotation of pitching, of hitting, of subs, of everything. I think it's just too long to play one team, whether it be triple a or just any sport it just seems like it's too long to simply play one team unless it's playoffs obviously baseball playoffs we love it they're seven games usually toward the end there so i mean you're seeing one team a lot but that's a completely different situation playoffs are playoffs and you're gonna see that team a lot because it's playoffs but as far as the season goes i think three game is just a better series i mean three games is still enough to have some excitement play that team a few times have them in town you know, you're not traveling a ton with three games. I mean, still every three days unless you have a longer homestand. But at the same time, six just seems too long to see one team over and over and over. I mean, even you and I trying to preview these games and preview these series. I mean, previewing a six-game series, it goes quicker for us, which is nice because it's that same team for usually two shows and we just kind of go over the games we don't really have to preview a new team for six games which is nice for us because it's a little easier but I think a three-game series just adds a little bit more variety and excitement especially in a league like AAA I think you need to kind of keep things on a rotation and keep things moving and kind of keep people wanting to come back well you stole part of my argument where it was uh it's easier for us (laughs) 
where it's just six games, so you don't have it to. Is. And, and it the is. schedule works out perfect where all the players are off on Monday. So it works perfect because our show air on Monday, and it's not like we're missing anything. But I also think that the six-game series, as opposed to the three or four, you're also getting less travel time. So it's what less wear and tear on the players' bodies. They're in the, they're they're able to stay at their home longer periods of time where it's it's less travel you don't have to you're just going back and forth to the ballpark and then just going right back home it's so much easier so, so i think I, I i am completely in favor of the six game series because it's less taxing on the players bodies if you're you're yes you're seeing the same opponent multiple times like six straight times but it's less traveled the entire year and i mean it's less plane rides it's less it's less time to pack up the entire thing it's easier on the 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 equipment people who have to pack up the planes every time i mean you're saving money on taxiing too so i i am completely in favor of the six game series i do like the fact on your side where it's the three or four where you're not seeing the same pitcher twice in the same series but i mean that also goes into strategy are you going to change some stuff up you got to change your signs multiple times so i think building in more strategy can help the game that's very strategic to begin with I do think for travel purposes, it is nice. And like you said, on the players as well, I mean, the seasons are already arguably way too long, and I don't know why baseball ever decided to go with the amount of games they play. It's just kind of insane to play that many games. I know it's a little bit simpler of a game where it's less wear and tear on these players than it is physical, like football or hockey or, you know, lacrosse, but... That's still, that's just, that's a lot of games to play. But at the same time, again, I'm, I'm more in favor of variety and mixing it up a little bit quicker than six games. I, I mean, maybe split it, a little four, a little four game series. I wouldn't mind that. That'd be, that'd be nice. So ripe or mushy avocado. And we'll move to our final question here and then we can wrap it up. Teams should invest more resources in to, to help the AAA team look to win more rather than just mainly focus on the development of the minor league system. I know the the lower levels, the single A, double A, triple A, and all those rookie ball and everything is more designed to help further the development of the careers of these players, but I think they need to put more emphasis, at least in triple A, on actually winning games. All right, and I will call tails because you called heads. Oh, this is a better coin flip. It is heads. You, you got it. I am going to be in favor of this and fight for more wins. And that's simply because if you look towards the NHL model and what the Buffalo Bill or what the Buffalo Sabres have tried to do since Kevin Adams have come in, they put more focus on trying to not only develop the young players, which they do, but I think trying to have them win and excel in the Amherst level has benefited their team. I mean, you had Peyton Krebs down there. You had Samuelson down there for that long extended run when we covered the Amherst last year. Look what it's done to the NHL team up here. Winning breeds success. And if you're going to a ballpark and you know, okay, we're going to get our butts kicked over and over, you're less focusing on fine-tuning your your skills at that level, and it's going to hurt your development. I think putting more focus on actually bringing in possibly more veterans, possibly guys that might not be good enough for the, the majors, but are good, great leaders, maybe like bring in, like they did last year for Dexter Fowler, that didn't actually work out, but 
he is a quality leader down there. I mean, how many times have we said having a guy who is on a rehab assignment in the AAA level will benefit all the players down there? If you bring in a guy like Nathan Lucas, who's 28 years old, finally got the opportunity with the the Toronto Blue Jays to sign a four uh, to be on the 40 man roster, is going to get opportunity to play for the Toronto team. He is an older guy down there, so I think bringing in guys that can help lead and change the AA culture down in the AAA level. I mean. Toronto had Gabriel Marino. How many other great players came through the system when they won their division title and ended up developing into major league players? I mean, the, half of them are in Oakland right now. I mean, their bullpen was unbelievable where they just kept getting called up after time and time again, where I think if you're looking to win more games down there and putting more resources into actually developing and, and trying to win more games down there, your players that are your top prospects and maybe even bubble prospects are going to be happy coming to the ballpark and happy players breeds, you know, better success on the field and wanting to come to the ballpark and try to be better on the field and fine tuning your skills. So I think winning just breeds success. And I think that's how I started with it and how I'm going to end with it. I like it. Opening and closing statement, the exact same. <laughs> Thank you. I Great think lawyer. it's very, it's very difficult to take, the edge or the competitiveness out of a player I don't think you ever will I mean everybody wants to win everybody you know has that in them especially at that level I mean you've gone through likely college likely some of the lower levels I mean every single year you're out there you're trying to win every single game you can and I think just the thought of winning usually helps but at the same time especially for the clubs themselves but even for the players I mean the biggest thing about this, and I don't disagree necessarily with some of the ideas of bringing in some veterans who simply aren't going to make it in the major league level and trying to have them be a little bit of veteran leadership. I mean, I think you and I are both usually in fans or in favor of veteran leadership, but at the same time, the biggest thing for these players and all these young guys, I mean, especially baseball, I just talked about it a ton. They have so many games they play, and there's so many ridiculous amounts of lower levels before you get to the professional level that I think for these younger guys going into a baseball career everything is so focused on trying to make that major league level trying to do whatever you can and whatever you need to do for your own personal development for the team's development to crack that top roster and just be on a major league roster I mean, that is everything it's I think it's just different from baseball compared to football for example where it's very simple where you play college and you go to the draft you get drafted you try to fight and stay on the team and that's that whereas baseball there's single a double a triple a there's leagues below that there's summer leagues there's college there's just so many different leagues in baseball and i think all of it is just building to trying to be on that major league roster trying to reach that top level the development takes a lot longer than we see in some of these other sports i mean i guess it's similar to hockey but hockey really only has I guess, I guess it's similar to hockey where they have a few other lower levels, but baseball just has so many lower levels, and it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean, if you're an older aging prospect that's still trying to make the major leagues, you're going to be stuck in AAA trying to make the major leagues. So I think while winning is great, and I think it is still something that the teams focus on and need to focus on, I think everything in baseball, just simply because it's such a developmental sport, I think really just leans everything toward trying to make that major league roster. And even for the teams, obviously you want your players, like you just mentioned, to come up with a winning attitude and try to win. But at the same time, these teams 
know where the gaps in their roster are, know what prospects are coming up, know what they want those guys to look like when they get in that major league level and how they can improve. I mean, in this case for the Bisons, how they can improve the Toronto Blue Jays to take that next step. Like what does this pitching prospect, what does this second base prospect, what do they need to do in their game to raise them to a level where they can assist the Toronto Blue Jays on their active roster and assisting the Blue Jays to get to the next level of trying to win that World Series. So I think baseball is just a very, very developmental sport compared to maybe some of the other sports that are out there. Well done. I didn't see that aspect coming, and uh, it was very good. Thank you. I just really don't want to be mushy. Every time we bring up ripe or mushy, I just I don't want to be mushy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this pretty much concludes our first segment of uh, Devil's Avocado. We'll be back for part two on our Monday show along with the one Sabres game we got to talk about. And yes, Dylan Cousins did sign an extension, but I didn't want to just add that to this show when it's mostly Devil's Avocado. So we'll talk about that on our Monday show. But Phil, is there anything else you want to add to this one before we uh, turn it over to the listeners and they get to, you know, go out and let us know who was ripe and who was mushy? Yeah, I just, I just don't want to be mushy. I just kind of mentioned I just, I don't want to be the mushy one. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm asking for. Don't let me be mushy. <laughs> what a statement to end on, and I'm not even going to try to fight that one. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective, this special Devil's Avocado version. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye-bye.